Okay, so Acts chapter 8. Now, what we're seeing so far is that the message has the message of Christ has gotten really dangerous now. It's gotten really it, it's a uh, it's uh, taken a, a turn. Let's put it that way. Uh, the last thing we looked at last week was Stephen died. Stephen's death, and when Stephen was stoned to death, that blew up a whole persecution of the church. This isn't a persecution like we studied before in Acts, where you know, Peter and John were arrested and questioned and, and uh, the apostles were arrested and questioned. Now the church is being persecuted by uh, people, people being killed, people being uh, imprisoned and uh, being executed for blasphemy and for, you know, back then it was a capital crime to, uh, to blaspheme God. That's what they thought they were doing. So who is it that's persecuting the church now as we go into Acts chapter 8? Saul is, yes, but who does he represent? Like the bigger group of people. Yeah, the Pharisees, the, the Jewish leaders. So who is the first persecutor of Christ's church? Yeah, it was the, it was Judaism. It was the religious leaders. Now, you can't just say it was all the Jews because the church was made up of only Jews at this time. It was the religious leadership uh, in, in, in Jerusalem. And so what happens is what we're going to see as we read these first few verses is that is that um, the the persecution when Stephen made his speech and he spilled all this out. We went through it took two weeks to go through his speech. And he just laid out the whole case for Christianity. It really lit a fire under them. They were like, we didn't realize that this had gone this far. And that these people were saying that Jesus was all that, all that he is. And when Stephen was martyred, um, it, it sparked this this whole persecution that ended up forcing forcing the church to leave, forcing the church out of Jerusalem. Uh, the only ones stayed in Jerusalem were the apostles uh, because, I mean, to be honest, they were, they were scared for their lives. I mean, they were scared they were going to die, but God used this scattering to go and spread the gospel out. We're entering into the second phase of Acts here. The first phase, remember at the very beginning when we started Acts, we started Acts chapter 1. He said, you will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the other ends of the world. We're entering into now, Acts chapter 8, we're entering into the second phase where they're going into Judea and Samaria. Okay? We're done with, we're done with Jerusalem. Uh, what happens now is that it moves out from Jerusalem. So, but what we're going to see is that even when they're mourning, they're mourning, they're going to mourn over Stephen, even when they're being oppressed and persecuted and driven and, and persecuted, I already said persecuted, when they're being killed and, and imprisoned and executed, uh, they are going to continue on the mission that Christ gave them to do. Okay? Anybody read the, the, the text for this week and have any questions, any comments, anything before we start? 
We're going to talk about Simon the sorcerer today too, and that that's going to engender a lot of questions. So I'm going to I'm going to try to go fast through this first part to get to Simon because that's where all the questions usually arise. So in chapter eight it says, and Saul, remember Saul is 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 Paul pre-conversion. Saul was consenting unto his death. Who's his? His death. Stephen's. Stephen's death. Right. He was glad Stephen was killed. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. So here we see this is the beginning of, of this uh, uh, movement of witnessing to Judea and Samaria. Except the apostles. Apostles stayed in Jerusalem. It says, uh, verse 2 and 3 says, And devout men carried Stephen to his burial, made great lamentation over him. What's lamentation? Crying. Yeah, crying, mourning. So you see, the church was grieving over Stephen. Stephen was the first martyr. He was the first one to die for for his faith. And so uh, they were grieving over him. They were they were lamenting over him. But verse three says, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hauling men and women, uh, committed them to prison. And hauling men and women committed them to prison. So you see, this isn't just a this isn't just a persecution that's like, you know, we're gonna, you know, if I find a Christian out on the road somewhere, I'm going to go and persecute. This was systematic. This was, we're going from house to house, and we're looking for these people. They were, they were meeting in houses at the time, breaking bread, praying. We saw that before. Uh, no more would they, I, this is just me thinking out loud. I, I don't know if, uh, I don't know if I'm 100% absolute sure on this or not, but I don't believe that they were meeting in the temple complex anymore, you know, preaching with all the people and the apostles standing up because now everybody's after them. The, the religious leaders, uh, the Jewish leaders, Saul heads up this persecution. They're all after them. So now they're meeting in homes. They're meeting uh, in people's homes across the city of Jerusalem. And Saul, you can just imagine this guy's kicking in doors and he's hauling them off, committing them to prison. And prison in these days was not what you're thinking prison is. Uh, prison nowadays is you go and you sit there in a cell for 20 years. Years, you know, and that's prison. Prison in these days was you're awaiting your execution, you know, or you're awaiting your trial where they would, you know, fine you or punish you or whip you or do whatever they do, and then you go home, you go whatever. So prison here was more like a holding tank for when they get to your case, then they're going to decide your case, lay out your punishment, and then that's it. So they, they were they were actually killing Christians. They were actually uh, martyring them. They were they were persecuting them, And this is not like we've seen before where they were just arresting them, questioning them. You know, leave them alone. If it's of God, it won't come. This now has turned into full-scale uh, full murder. You know, it's full-scale. Let's get them out of here. We need to wipe them out. And so this causes them to scatter. We see that in, in verse 4. It says, therefore they were scattered abroad, went everywhere preaching the word. Now, the, the one thing that I want you to see in these first Four verses is that in the midst of their mourning, they were mourning over Stephen, lamenting, you know, that he had died, lamenting that he was killed, and in the midst of fear of being killed. I mean, uh, imagine it, it's it's, a, it's no big deal for us to come in and sit down in here and and study the word, and we're going to go in the sanctuary and we're going to praise and we're going to worship and we're going to sing and we're going to do all those things. It's no big deal, uh, but for them, it was it had become. Um, 
it had become dangerous. You know, if I said like some of y'all came to the house Friday, you know, some of y'all didn't, but some of y'all did. And so if I said, hey, y'all come to the house Friday and we're going to we're going to we're going to study the Bible and we're going to get together and, you know, have fellowship and eat a meal. Now, you know, if you were like if you were if you were, you know, if it the way it was, it was like, yeah, okay, you know, I, you know, if some of y'all had stuff to do, it's all good. Some of y'all was sick, whatever. But it was like, okay, yeah, well, we'll do that. Let's. Uh, but imagine if it was like, hey, y'all come to the house Friday and don't don't tell a bunch of people because you know they'll kill us if they find us. You know, it'd be like I'd been at the house by myself. You know, like where everybody? At? None of y'all showed up. That's what was going on. But these the people they they this was. I mean, it's real to us, but it was real to them. You know, they were willing to risk their lives. And, of course, not here, but there are places in the world today where people are still risking their lives to meet together, to fellowship together. Something we take for granted, like, should I go fellowship and hang out with them people? There's places in the world today, you know, that it will cost you your life if you get caught. If you get caught fellowshipping with one another. with you know, And people are willing to risk that. And they were willing to risk it here. Even in the midst of being scattered. Even in the midst of, I mean, they're running from Jerusalem. Going out into Judea, Samaria. They are, they are trying to get away from these people that are trying to kill them. Even then, though, they still were on the mission that Christ had given them. When they went to Judea, out into the countryside of Judea, they were preaching the word. When they went to Samaria, they were preaching the word everywhere they went. So it's almost like you can look at Stephen's death and say, you know, wow, that's, you know, too bad for Stephen. But the reality was Stephen's death was used by God to kickstart this second phase of Acts. Does that make sense? You see, now the gospel is going to Judea, Samaria. Is there any question? Y'all understand that? I'm trying to breeze through this first part so we can get to the second part. So now we come to the part where it's going to focus down. The chapter 7 focused on Stephen. Now chapter 8 is going to focus on this guy named Philip. Philip was one of the seven quote-unquote deacons that were chosen in chapter 6. So Philip goes off to Samaria and he starts preaching. It says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria, preached Christ unto them. The people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spoke, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Remember the miracles were following the gospel proclamation. Uh, For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them and many taken with palsies that's uh, uh, paralysis of one form or another and that were lame were healed and they were there and there was great joy in the city so Pete Philip goes off and he becomes the first missionary to these Samaritans now before we get into Simon which is gonna we're gonna have a lot of questions about him I'm sure well we should anyway um, I need to tell you the difference between Samaritans and Jews okay because that's gonna be important y'all with me I know if just say something if I go too fast or if you got a question there are no stupid questions only huh stupid people are the ones that don't ask questions people ask questions please Uh, Samaritans were half-breeds 
Okay, they were half Jewish, half Gentile. What happened was, way back in uh, 2 Kings Chronicles, uh, Assyria came and and conquered the northern kingdom, which was Samaria and and all that, and they were all Jewish. And they conquered them, and they deported all of them. And they left just a few, and then they brought in colonists from all over the Assyrian Empire. And those people, the colonists and the Jewish people that were left, intermarried, and And they had kids, and their kids were considered half-breeds, Samaritans. That's what they were called, Samaritans, because they lived in Samaria. And the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. That's why, you know the parable of the Good Samaritan? That's why it was so scandalous, because the Jews hated Samaritans, but here the temple guy, the Levite, and the, the other guy walked past this guy who was bleeding in the road, and the Samaritan is the one who stopped and helped him. I mean, that's why it was so scandalous. But they had different beliefs as well. The Samaritans only accepted the first five books of the Bible. They didn't accept all the prophets and all the rest of the Old Testament. They only accepted those first five books of the Bible and they believed that you were supposed to worship in this other mountain. They called it Mount Gerizim instead of going to Jerusalem. And because of all that, the Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans hated the Jews. You remember when Jesus came to the the woman at the well? She was a Samaritan woman and the Samaritan woman said, why are you talking to me? You're not, you know, you, the Jews don't have any dealings with us Samaritans, you know. So they hated each other. So Philip goes off to start preaching to these people that were hated by the Jewish people. And people started being converted. People started believing the gospel. People started coming into the church. Uh, of course, Philip was uh, imbued with the authority of the apostles. So uh, miracles were going on. God was proving that Philip's word was true and that his gospel was true. And so. So all these things were going on and people started rejoicing in great joy. And now we're going to get introduced to this man named Simon. He's called Simon the Sorcerer. Okay. And this guy was, he was, uh, well, let me read it and then we'll get into it. Okay. Uh... But verse nine, but there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one. He was claiming to be some great guy to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying this man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard because that of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. Now. This guy was a magician. He was a sorcerer. And what we're going to see here, and this is how it's going to apply to you, is that Simon is going to try to play the system. He's going to try to get the power and the blessing and the benefits of God without actually having God. See what I mean? He's going he's gonna to want the, the prestige and the awe and the fame and all that stuff that goes along with being uh, um, uh, associated with the one true God, but he doesn't really want relationship with God. He don't want to be forgiven of his sins. He don't care about none of that. All he wants is power and fame and fortune and prestige and all that kind of stuff. And so often you we see that in people's lives today still. Maybe it's not fame and fortune. Maybe it's not stuff like that. But what you see is I want the blessings of God 
but I don't want God. I don't want relationship with God. You know, I want God. I want to, you know, I want to be able to pray when I get sick to make sure God heals me. I want to be able to, when I have financial problems, I want to be able to pray and God's going to fix all that. But I don't want to actually obey God. I don't want to actually submit to God. I don't want to actually uh, make him the Lord of my life. But I, I darn sure want all the blessings. You know, you see it all the time. Folks live the way they want to live. And I'm not talking about acts murdering and sacrificing goats and, you know, all that crazy stuff. I'm not talking about nothing like that. I'm talking about just, you know, I, I just do what I want to do. I don't have much time to think about God during the week. I go to work, come home, go to work, come home. That's my routine. And, you know, God's really not, you know, he's not in the forefront of my mind, loving him, serving him, obeying him, all those kind of things. You know, that's great if it ever pops up, but that's really not what my life is focused on. But, but you let something go on in life and then it's all of a sudden, oh, I need God. Oh, I need God. I need blessings. I need what? This is the same kind of mindset that Simon is going to have. Have. If you look at the verses that we just read, I don't think when it says he was a sorcerer, it doesn't mean he was walking around pulling rabbits out of people's hats, you know, stuff like that. I think more than likely he was what we would probably call a witch doctor, you know, sort of. I mean, he wasn't like bone in your nose witch doctor, but people would come to him, huh? Because he's a Samaritan. He was a Samaritan, so he... Uh, he people would come to him with their problems and he would do a spell or an incantation or a ritual or something like that to fix them. You know, like uh, mother and father may come to him and say, you know, my son's sick. Can you whip up something? And he'd make them a spell to fix them, you know, something like that. And evidently he either had some success with this stuff or he had just totally faked everybody out. So they believed all this stuff that was going on because in the first three verses that I just read there, 9, 10 and 11, I don't think sorcery is the focus. You know, it's not that God doesn't save sorcerers. He doesn't save anybody. He saves anybody just like he saved you, just like he saved me. The focus of those three verses seems to be Simon's pride, doesn't it? It said, he said, it says, there was a man named Simon, which before time, same said he used sorcery. He bewitched the people, giving out that himself was someone great. He was proclaiming he was someone great. And then the next verse says, to whom they all gave heed, which means that they all listened to him. They all came to him. And then in verse 11, it says unto him, they had regard. They held him in high regard. So all three times in those verses, we're talking about Simon's ego. We're talking about his pride. We're talking about how he liked the fact that he was this great power of God and that he was the man and people were coming to him and all those kind of things. But this little guy named Philip shows up and throws a monkey wrench in the whole works. It says, it says, verse 12 says, but when they, talking about the Samaritans, they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Okay, so Philip comes into the countryside. He starts preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified, raised from the dead. On the third day, he is the Messiah. And all of a sudden, miracles are going on. God is proving that Philip's preaching and the gospel is true by people being 
being healed, you know, diseases being lifted, says unclean spirits were coming out of people. And all of a sudden now Simon's got some competition, doesn't he? He's not the great power of God now. People are saying, whoa, look at this is this is uh, God has come through the preaching of Jesus. You know, we're we're learning about this new man named Jesus who came and died. And I want to make sure you also know that the Samaritans were looking for a Messiah. This was not like somebody going off into the jungles of South America somewhere where they had no idea about Christianity and telling them something they'd never heard before. The Samaritans understood the first five books of the Bible and the Messiah is prophesied in the first five books of the Messiah. And so they understood, even the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, when she talked to Jesus, she said, we know that Messiah is coming and when he comes, he's going to tell us all things. And Jesus told her what? He said, the one who's speaking is he. You know, I'm him. And so they were looking for the Messiah. So Philip was coming and he was saying, hey, the Messiah has come. Jesus is here. He's been crucified. He's been raised from the dead. And everything, all, all that you have with God, you're standing with God, your righteousness all comes by him, through him. And it's by his name that you are ushered into the kingdom of God. And all these miracles start happening. So what do you think? And these people were believing and they were being baptized. What do you think Simon's going to do? Okay, I've been talking like 20 minutes. Some of y'all can say something. What would you think? Just guess if you hadn't read it. What's Simon going to do? He would challenge him. Yeah. He's not going to let it go. He's not going to just lay down. He's going to go check it out. Yeah. I know, but they weren't in the early service. Well, don't give away what I'm going to say. Yeah. I, this, this, this part of scripture really affected me as I was studying it. And I ended up preaching it in the early service, not this morning, but last week. So Miss Judy was there. She knows where all this is going. So um, Simon, it says, where are we at? 13. 13. Yeah. Simon was like, whoa, here's a dude with some power. Now, this lead, this is just my imagination. I can't prove it. But I'm thinking Simon was just hoodooing everybody. You know what I mean? He was just kind of, you know, he, he might have had some lucky success or whatever. But he was just kind of, you know, he was just kind of faking his way through the deal and, and making people think he was somebody. And all of a sudden, here's Philip. And people are really getting healed. People are really getting healed and, and, and unclean spirits are coming out and diseases are going away. And, and so Simon's like, whoa, look at this is this is power. So Simon's going to hook up with Philip. Yeah, he thinks he can benefit from it. That's that's very important. Uh, verse 13 says, then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now, here's where the questions start. Was Simon the saved man? We don't know at this point. We don't know at this point, that's for sure. But I'm going to go ahead and let the cat out the bag. Simon is not, does not have saving faith. No. He does not. Peter's going to come just a few verses later and he's going to say, your heart's not right with God. Now, that begs the question, what does it mean when it says Simon believed and followed Philip? He believed in Philip. He definitely believed Philip. He didn't believe in the power of God, but he believed in what Philip was doing. That, that's undeniable. Undeniable. He, he, he wanted some of that. 
No matter. Yeah. That's right. And I think that, remember, he's a Samaritan. And the Samaritans knew that there was a Messiah coming. They believed that there was a Messiah coming. And so he didn't really have any problem believing that this man named Jesus, who had died and raised from the dead, was the Messiah. So he believed that Jesus was the Messiah. I think, I think that he did. I think that he sincerely believed that Jesus was God's Messiah. But he did not. We're going to see this in a minute. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, and I'll prove it in just a second. Huh? Yeah. He did not submit himself to God. He did not trust the Messiah for his sin. He did not want a relationship with God. He did not want to be right with God. He could care less about all that what we're going to see is the clues that we saw at the very beginning. He wanted the power to make people go, wow. He wanted, he wanted, yeah, that's right. He wanted, that's right. He wanted, I want what, for me, you know, I want to be like Philip. I want people to come to me and go, wow, you are powerful. You've got it going on. People do the same thing today. So he was the first TV preacher? Yeah. Maybe so, yeah. First TV preacher. I like that. I like that. He he wanted he wanted pe- he wanted prestige and honor. He wanted people to wow over him. And listen, he wanted the power and the blessings of God. He just didn't want to have the relationship with God that goes along with it. See, people do the same thing today all the time. I want God to. I mean, you can see it. Like, I mean, I. I hate to even give examples, you know, because uh, to be honest, we all find ourselves in that category at one time or another. You know, I can uh, it takes some good old fashioned pain to to get me sometimes, you know, when everything's going good and rocking right along. I can I can sense my own heart, you know, getting lazy, relaxing on God. Don't pray as much as I should anymore. Doesn't You know, you, you can all see that. And so uh, it's part of it's part of the natural heart. Those of us who've been born again, though, we have the Spirit of God living inside of us that when that does start to occur, and it does start to occur, the Spirit of God will use the preaching of the gospel, the fellowship of the believers, it will use the the Word of God, and it will pull you back and say, look, you're running off in the wrong direction, son, daughter. You're running off in the wrong direction. So, you can see this still today. You can see, like, um, we have a friend that you know with the with the Facebook deal he'll you know it'll be it'll be like cussing and Bud Light and boobies and then the next post will be like, y'all pray for my mom. She's a, what? what? You know? So, why, why, why? You know, it'll just be it'll just be, it'll be, it'll be worldly, nasty, worldly, nasty, you know, our country needs to get back to God. It's like, what? Somebody done hijacked your Facebook, you know what I mean? That, that's the deal, that's the deal. It's because I, I want to do what I want to do and I want to, you know, I, I want to have the blessings of God on my life. I want to make sure that I give honor to God, but I don't want him ruling my stuff. You know what I mean? I don't want him sticking his nose in. You know, I'll take him on Sunday. I'll take him when I need something. But when everything's going wrong, everything's going fine, you know, Jesus, just look away for a few for a few hours. I'm going to be busy. You know, that's 
the kind of thing that we see here in Simon. Simon wanted the blessings and the power and all those kind of things, but he did not want a relationship with God. You see a little clue right here too, because when it says, when it says, um, 13 says, Simon himself believed also when he was baptized, he continued with Philip, and then you get a clue about what he wanted. It says, and he wondered beholding the miracles and signs which were done. It didn't talk about he wondered at the gospel, at the preaching, at the rejoicing of people coming into the kingdom. He was all about the signs and wonders, right? Now, here we're going to have some questions. Verse 14 says, I'm just going to read these, 14 through 17. says, Now when the apostles were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word. Remember, it was only Jewish up until now. They sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid their, they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. The question is always raised, why did the Holy Ghost delay coming upon them when they believed in Christ? Does the Holy Ghost delay coming upon those today who believe in Christ? No. No, he does not. We can, I can demonstrate that scripture after scripture. Romans 8 9 says, if you don't have the Spirit, you don't have Christ. Simple as that. And so, why, this is, we're going to see this in Acts three or four times. There, every time the gospel of salvation moves to a new people group. Like up until this point, it's just Jews. Nobody's saved except Jews. Now the Samaritans are brought in. So there's a new people group that the gospel is going to. We're going to see some extraordinary circumstances going around here. In uh, Acts chapter 10, Peter is going to preach to a Gentile, Cornelius. And we're going to see as the Gentiles are brought into the church as well, you're going to see some extraordinary circumstances is going on there. Why do you think the Holy Spirit waited to come to the Samaritans until Peter and John got there? Any any guesses? Huh? Because of Simon, the sorcerer. Probably so. I mean, it was definitely because he. Definitely, definitely. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And so there was, it, I think Luke is writing it. Luke wrote Acts. So I think he is writing to, the whole thing is about Simon. And so he is writing to show us, uh, it's going to get to the fact that Simon, when he sees this, the Holy Ghost falling upon them, he's going to say, whoa, this is the power. This is what I'm after. But what we, what we see is that if, remember the Samaritans hated the Jews, Jews hated the Samaritans, there were separate, remember we worship in Jerusalem, you worship over in Mount Gerizim, you leave us alone, we leave you alone. If the apostles had not come and laid their hands upon them to show them that this was the same gospel, same Jesus, same salvation, you could have very well had the Jewish church and the Samaritan church. You see what I mean? And so the Holy Ghost delayed, sovereignly delayed until Peter and John got there, laid their hands upon them, and now it's one church, Jew and Samaritan. Yes. Do you think it's also because Philip was, he was a deacon and the Holy Spirit was being 
harmful by bringing Peter and John because they were witnesses. And with them being witnesses, like you said, it would it would make it the one instead of breaking off into branches of well, you know, this guy can do this over here, and we can believe this one. Be Phillips Church, right? Yeah, I think so. You know, it's always when two or more gather. Yeah. Well, and he wanted to show it's demonstrating two things. Number one, the Jewish church, the apostles, could not say we don't want the Samaritans in our church. We're not taking them half breeds because they had they came at the Spirit's leading, and they laid their hands upon them and the Spirit descended on them just like it did at Pentecost. So the, the Jewish apostles couldn't say, this is our church, y'all can't be a part of our church. They couldn't do that. Neither could the Samaritans say, well, we don't have nothing to do with them apostles. This is our deal right here because they had to have, they had to come under the leadership of the apostles. They had to come under the leadership of the twelve apostles in Jerusalem. So Peter and John sent, or they were emissaries as apostles of Jesus Christ, came and they laid their hands upon them and it, it's almost like an inauguration into the church now there's it's still one church but now it's not just Jewish it's Jewish and Samaritan and so this for us it, it's like you know no big deal you know I, I'm from Louisiana you're from somewhere else and somebody from Italy and somebody from Germany but to them this was scandalous what do you mean the Samaritans are coming into the Samaritans aren't part of God's people? Are you kidding me? I mean, it would have been scandalous to them. And so this needed to happen to mend all this break that had gone on. The Jews hated Samaritans. Samaritans hated Jews. You see? You understand? Any questions? And I think Luke records this. You're absolutely right because this coming of power, this coming of the Holy Spirit is going to knock Simon's socks off, boy. He's going to say, whoa, this is the power that I'm after. You know, Philip's doing a pretty good job. And I mean, it's all good. But this is the source. And I want that. I want this deal. And so that's what he says. He says in, uh, where am I at? Oh, 17. Oh, yeah. 18. And when Simon saw that through the laying on the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money saying, give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay my hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. Simon thinks he's found the source. Now, it is so interesting to me that Simon doesn't even ask for the Holy Ghost to be given to him, does he? He doesn't ask, hey, lay your hands upon me and give me that. All he wants is the power to be able to give it to other people. See what I mean? He doesn't care that he's not right with God. He doesn't care about being in a relationship with God. He doesn't care about, you know, having sins forgiven. He doesn't, I mean, he doesn't care about none of this. All I want, I'm going to give you some cash, and you give me this power that whoever I lay my hands upon, they're going to receive this Holy Ghost. And so you can see where his heart is. He stills just, I'm just after the blessings. I'm after the power. 
power. I'm after the fame and the fortune and the prestige. I'm after all these things. And I really don't care about the whole, you know, forgiven. Yeah, okay, that's great. That, that's a good thing. That'll, that'll go with it. Uh, relationship with God. Yeah, okay. That, I mean, that might be good. I, whatever. But I want to be able to wow the crowd. I want people to say I'm the great power of God. I want people to say, wow, look at Simon. He's got all this power. Same thing we've been talking about. People want the blessings of God, but don't want God. You, God, you keep your nose out of my business until I need you. You know, when I need you, then you come and you fix my stuff and then you go back away until I need you again. That's the way that almost, I want to say almost all, but a great, a great many people who claim the name of Christ live. We don't live as if this forgiveness is the center and focal point of our life. We don't live as the gospel is. The gospel is the lens through which I view everything. You know, I, I view everything through my relationship with God. That's who I am. That's who you are. That's who these apostles, these disciples were. That wasn't what Simon was wanting. Simon was just wanting, you know, he was wanting blessings and that was it he wanted power and that was it now you would not want peter as your pastor because peter says in the next verse he says thy money perish with thee because thou hast thought the gift of god may be purchased with money now that's a pretty nice way to translate it um the word perish means, if you think about like John 3, 16, shall the, you believe in God, you shall not perish. But what does that mean? What Perish. Huh? Oh yeah, it's no good for sure. It's no good for sure. But if you perish, what do you? What happens to you? It's not just. It's not just. Not just die. Like John three sixteen said, uh, "For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish." What does perish mean? Die and go to hell. Die and go to hell. Peter is saying, "To hell with you and your money." That's the way I would translate it. You'd be like, "We can't. We can't use Jason's Bible." <laughs> he said. He said, I mean, he said, look, he basically said, you and your money can perish together. You and your money can go to hell together. He said, because you thought, next verse says, uh, oh no, that verse says, because you thought that you could buy the, or the gift of God may be purchased with money. His money was useless. His money was no good. It didn't matter. He thought... I'm going to give them something of value and they're going to give me something of value. The problem was this was a gift. He, the gift was not just the coming of the Holy Spirit. The gift was salvation in its entirety because the Holy Spirit comes upon those who are saved. Amen. And so thank you for the amen, Mr. Judy. And so the, he said, son, you, he basically said to hell with you and your money. He said, you don't have a part or a lot in this. In the next verse, he says, uh, thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, and this is why. It's not because you offered money. It's not because you want power instead of God. It's because at the end of verse 21, your heart is not right in the sight of God. That was his problem. So we go all the way back to the part where it says Simon believed and was baptized. Did Simon have saving faith? No. His heart was not right in the sight of God. 
And so Simon intellectually believed, I mean, he believed the facts that Peter, that uh, Philip was presenting, but he did not give his heart to Christ. He did not surrender his heart to Christ. His heart was not right with God. Now, Simon is not doomed. He's not doomed. There is a way out for him, just like there's a way out for everyone. Verse 22, and we're almost done. He says, Peter tells him, repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. He said, repent. If you repent of this now, there's an option for you. There's a way out. But notice he called it wickedness. He, he offered him money. He offered him money for the gift of God. And Peter calls that wickedness. He doesn't say... Now, Simon, you just don't understand how this works, son. I mean, you're getting this all confused. Let me explain it to you again because you don't really understand. No, he says you need to repent of this wickedness. By trying to bribe God, you are adding sin on top of your sin. You're adding, you're adding wickedness on top of the sin you already need to be forgiven for. So many people do this. It's so tragic. You know, even counseling people when, when uh, I'll meet someone over in the, in the office over there and they'll just be counseling whatever the worst thing that happens when we talk about when we talk about uh, this issue in my life or that issue in my life is they'll get up from that chair they'll walk out of that office going you know what I'm going to do better that's not the point. Doing better, of course you need to do better. We all need to do better. Everybody needs to do better. The point is that Christ is your salvation. Christ is the glory of your life. Christ is the righteousness, righteousness that you stand before God. And when you try to bribe your way over that with anything, not money, good works, uh, whatever, I'm not as bad as Joe down the road. At least I'm not him. At least I'm not doing the things he's doing. When you try to bribe your way into God's grace with that kind of mindset, all you're doing is adding wickedness on top of your sin. I always use this example. Think about somebody breaking into your house and murdering your children. I mean, that's awful. You don't think about that. But after it's all said and done, what could that person give you to make up for that? What could he offer you? Hey, let me just buy you a $2 million house. Will that fix everything? I mean, just offering the thing would probably send you into a rage. How dare you think that you could buy off what you did to me? And that's what we do with God. We're like, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to be better from now on. I'm going to do good. Uh, I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to try to live better. You're bribing God. Do you need to live better? Yes, you do. Do you need to do better and follow God better? Of course you do. But you don't do it to earn God's grace, to earn God's love, or to earn God's favor. That is only given through the death and the resurrection of Christ. You understand? Makes sense? Any questions? Why do you think we have that mentality? Because we are sinners when we still dwell in our flesh. Um, as believers, we have the Spirit of God inside of us, but there is something inside of us that does not want to be helpless. Does that make sense? Well, when I say that, I agree. I mean, just take me for example. There is, I would never say that Jesus isn't enough 
you know, to pay for all my sin. I would never do that. That's, that's you know, uh, that's the central focus of what Christianity is. Christianity is not just living better, doing better, working better. You know, here's a list of things you need to do to be a good Christian. That's not Christianity. Christianity is trusting in Jesus who did everything perfectly for me. Um, but I caught myself maybe, I don't know, it, it's probably a couple of months ago. I caught myself, <coughs> I've, been, I've been exercising, you know, I've been trying to lose weight and I, I run 30 minutes every day on a treadmill with a 20 pound weight vest on and so uh, I've been losing a little bit I know y'all can tell I look pretty good but um, <laughs> there was a time my chest was it, but, uh, huh? <laughs> did you just call me Simon you're banned you're banned from Sunday school you're banned <laughs> she knows she knows where I live um, anyway my chest started hurting one day, you know, and I thought, you know, I'd waited too long, start exercising, my heart's all jacked up, you know, whatever. And I'm laying in the bed, I'm laying in the bed, and you know, going to sleep, and I'm one of them people that takes three hours to go to sleep. I'm just laying there staring at the ceiling, you know, in the dark. And my chest is hurting, and I, I keep thinking I've known three or four different people that laid down in the night and died and never got up again, you know. And so I'm thinking, well, uh-oh, <laughs> you know, my, my chest is hurting, you know. And I, I, I caught myself thinking, uh, yeah, yeah, I caught myself thinking, well, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to die yet. I got some things I got to fix. I got things I got to get right. I got things I what? And I said, boy, that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel at all. You know, so I, I even caught myself trying to fall back into some works. I don't want to stand before God until I get this right and this right and this right and this right. You know? I still had things that I was like, you know, and those are good things. There's nothing wrong with that. And and all the things that God convicts you of, we're supposed to be getting right. So please don't think I'm saying, oh, it's just grace. Let's all go sin all the way. That is not the Christian life. That is not what the Bible presents as a Christian life. But when I stand before God, the only thing that I'm going to present as evidence in my case is that Jesus died for my sins and rose again. And so I catch myself, we just don't want to be helpless. We don't want to be hopeless. We don't want to be without strength, without power, without anything. We think, you know, there's got to be something that I can do to make God proud of me or happy with me when the reality is there's absolutely nothing. It's all been done for us and it's been done by Jesus. He's the only preacher I've ever heard that presented it like this. Is you know, if you're a drunkard, come to Christ as a drunkard. He's going to change your heart. You can't. Right. You know, he's going to be the one that comes. If you come to Christ drunk as a skunk. You know, he's going to be. You you have to come as you are. He'll fix you. He'll fix you. Yeah, right. that's definitely. You can't fix, and that's and that's with drinking or lying or anything. He is the one that fixes you. You can't because you are helpless to your sin. It's and you said this. It's not that we sin. We are sinners. We are. Yeah, we, we are sin sinners. because we are sinners. Exactly. It's not vice versa. Yeah, that's right. Two more things. We got to go. We're running out of time. He says. <clears throat> One of the scariest things that I ever read in 22, it says, it says, repent therefore of this thy wickedness and pray God, if perhaps, 
the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. So he's not saying, so, so often we say, you know, y'all need to accept Jesus. And that's right. I, I don't have no problem with that language. I say it all the time. But the question is not, you know, I, I think I'm going to accept Jesus today. The question is, are you going to fall down on your face and you're going to cry out that Jesus would accept you? Exactly. See what I mean? He's saying, he, he's almost saying, you need to repent and you need to fall down. You need to submit and cry out that if it's possible, God would forgive you of what you just did. And so he, he's presenting it to him like, Simon, you've got to submit. You've got to surrender yourself. You've got to repent. You've got to come to him humbly. And if you don't, you know, oh well. If and, you don't come like that, that's the part, way I've been taught. It's for the whosoever whosoever. That's how you got to come. There's no other way to come. You either come how he says or you don't come at all. And finally, last verse we'll read. Well, 23 says, I perceive, Peter tells him, I perceive you're still in the gall building, still in the bond of iniquity. He's still slave to his sin. And this is the most, the craziest thing about this story. Verse 24 is the end of it. It just ends. It says, Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which you have spoken come upon me. I just don't get that. Simon, Simon didn't. Simon didn't, he didn't get the hint. He didn't. He didn't repent. What he said was, Peter told him, you need to repent and you need to fall down your face if perhaps God will forgive you. And Simon said, why don't you just pray for me? Simon didn't want a relationship with God. He didn't want to be right with God. Now he just wants out of the trap. You know what I mean? He, he just don't want none of this stuff to happen to him. So many people are like that. He said, and it just ends. Like the next verse says, and they, when they had testified and preached, I mean, it just goes on to the next story. Like you never know what happened to Simon. You never know what, what went on. He said, the last thing he says was, you pray for me. And it just moves on. People do that all the time. People refuse to obey God. They refuse to live for God. They refuse to do what God says. They refuse to follow after God. And then when something goes on, they're like, well, pray for me. Um, okay. I mean, it's nothing wrong with praying for each other. We're supposed to pray for each other. I mean, nothing wrong with that. But it's like the guy that, it's like the guy that says, it's like a guy that would say, okay, I bought a $400,000 house, I bought a $100,000 bass boat, and I bought a, a $75,000 car, and I went on a $20,000 Jamaican vacation. Pray for me, I'm having financial trouble. <laughs> Uh, okay, okay. I mean, if you're gonna do, if you're gonna do the stuff that gets you into the hole, you know, I can pray for you. I'll pray for you. I won't have no problem. But you, I mean, you're the one that caused the the hole. That's what he's. He did it. Peter tells him what he needs to do. You need to repent, and you need to, you know, pray that God would forgive you of this wickedness. And Simon goes, "Well, you, you just pray for me." You just pray for me that that don't happen to me. Let's see his wickedness and he really wants to admit he wasn't He was not humble. He was not praying and repenting would mean that he would have to humble himself and he was not going to do that. Do you think that was just like that example you just gave with the financial stuff, unless that person repents and knows that what they did was wrong, they're going to continue to get in a hole, get in a hole, because the sin is just turning away from that. 
So if you don't turn away from that, we can pray for them all day long. They're going to continue to dig deeper and deeper. Definitely. And the point we got we got to go. But the point the point here is that Simon still wouldn't humble himself. It would took it would have taken humility for him to break down and say, "I repent. I'm sorry." But do you think Luke ends the story there because it kind of goes along with that the scripture where it says, you know, they just kind of dusted their feet of it and went and went on. You never hear about him again. Right. That's where we get. Have you ever heard the word simony? Uh -uh. Simony is buying ecclesiastical office, like. When a cardinal, you usually hear it in the Catholic Church, when a cardinal buys his office, that's called simony. And that's where it comes from. It's the word because of what Simon tried to do, tried to buy his office. So next week, if you came in late, we're not meeting in here anymore. Next week, we're meeting in the sanctuary and the youth are going to meet in here because it'll be more comfortable. Your butt won't go to sleep in the metal chairs. It'll be all good. Okay. But yeah, you can't have no coffee in there. I'm sorry. All right, Lord, we love you. We thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, the gospel that you've given us, God. Help us just to go and to worship you in spirit and truth and praise you for what you've done. God, let us hear the warning of Simon. Let us hear the truth of what you've spoken to us today. And we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. I enjoyed it too.